Bad news. Before this pandemic, you'd have to bring up some examples of, of bad news, like maybe politics or the environment or something like that. Uh, maybe you'd have to kind of go and try and find bad news, but now it seems like we can't get away from it. It's piled on top of us. In fact, it might be very difficult for us to read or see anything that isn't related to bad news. I think now more than ever, we are people who are in need of good news. Like every single one of us, regardless of where you are with Jesus, every single one of us need good news. And not just in relieving the discomfort or pain or any kind of suffering now in the moment, because that's difficult, yes. But even bigger than that looms the big questions of like, what is this all about? What is life for? Why am I here? What, what is, where can I really find meaning that's, that's going to be long lasting and deep? What does my life mean? Those are all massive questions that often we use the comforts of the world to try and try and stave them off because they can be kind of overwhelming. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those things today. And the best news that we can ever hear is that Jesus has come to give us new life. Regardless of circumstances that might go on, we can still experience new life through Jesus, a new life that's filled with joy, that's filled with hope, that's filled with love, and one that can still thrive in difficult circumstances. Now, you might think that sounds too good to be true, but it is good, and it is true. It's both of those things. Now, everyone needs this news. The most effective way for people to hear about this and for people to see it lived out is through the planting of churches. Church planting, well, what is that? Church planting is just simple, just another way of saying like starting new churches. It's like entrepreneurship applied to Christianity. Creating a new community of people who follow Jesus where there wasn't one before. So starting stuff from scratch, really. Now, for us, the idea of church planting often isn't kind of a normal thing. It may not even be a term you've, you've heard before. It might sound like a new thing, or maybe before Redeemer, if you've been part of Redeemer, before Redeemer, you've never really kind of considered it or, or heard about it before. But every church was a church plant at some point. Every church had to start from somewhere. Every church was a church plant. And the book of Acts teaches us that church planting isn't something kind of new or novel or cool or whatever. Uh, it's the normal practice of an other-focused church. It's the normal practice of a healthy church that cares about others more than that cares about itself. And that's the normal practice of a church that's full of the Spirit, which is what we see in Acts over and over and over again. Because God cares very much about the people who don't know him yet. And if we're filled with God, we will care about people who don't know him yet as well, because we're filled with God and his desires become our desires. Now, this does not mean we're going to have an easy life. And the book of Acts is proof that, that being a Christian doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. But as God's sons and daughters, we get to be filled with his love as we walk down his paths, as we follow Jesus. And this love is so immense. This love is so amazing. And there's so much of it, it overflows to other people in our lives. People that we love. Our families, our neighbors, our work colleagues, maybe some work colleagues. You know, there's always Janet from HR. We don't really like Janet from HR. But when that happens, with enough people all together, when we're overwhelmed with this kind of overflowing love of God, when that happens, when enough people get together, you get new churches. Now, Redeemer is one of these new churches. We're still new. We're, we're barely two years old. We'll be two years old in June. And before Redeemer was even a thing, we had monthly prayer nights. 
We were, lots of other people were very generous with their time, very generous with their prayers, and came to pray for Chilton, not just for a church, but for Chilton in general. We prayed for business leaders, we prayed for local counselors, we prayed for schools, we prayed for charities, all sorts of things. And then we had our first official meeting was on the 3rd of January of 2018, and we had nine people in our living room around a table gathered together. We hopped around to a few different venues, a pub, a cricket club, a school, but also ended up at our house for quite some time, if you remember that, if you were part of Redeemer then. The 11th of November, we had our first meeting at Dulcimer, which is a bar in Trollton, with 19 adults and kids all together. And God added people, and we outgrew that space. And as the 3rd of November in, in, uh, 3rd of November in 2019, we had our first Sunday at the Royal Oak, which is a, a pub in central Trollton. So we upgraded from a bar to a pub, which is kind of a good way to go, I think. And we had over 27 people that were there. And generally on a Sunday, when we actually gather together in person, we have a little over 30 people. And now we're in Zoom and we're kind of getting a lot more people online. And in fact, probably around over 150 people each week watching these services online. And if that's you, we're really thankful that you're watching this with us and that you're engaged with us in this. And if, if you're watching on YouTube or our website or Facebook or Instagram or whatever kind of social media platform, uh, we want to invite you to something deeper and something more. And this to be able to join our Zoom call together, which is we pray together, we sing, we do more than just listen to a message. We do all sorts of things together and encourage each other in the faith as much as we can be connected to each other in this kind of physically disconnected time. Well, when we started two years ago, we were a third of the size that we are now. And this is, we haven't grown because we're fantastic. We clearly have not grown because I'm an amazing teacher. We've grown because the Holy Spirit's been at work. The kind of things that we're praying for have come true. We've seen people come around for, who are exactly the kind of people that were praying to join us in this. And people have come and gone uh, from Redeemer. They've come uh, and, and gone because of jobs, because of visas. And sometimes that's sad to see people go. In fact, it's always sad to be, see people go. But it's also exciting because we get to send people to other countries. We get to send people to other parts of our country. And we get to help equip people as God has sent them to these other places and even, even to these other countries. So some of that is exciting for us, though it is sad. It's always sad to see people go. And we, Redeemer, we aren't the exception, this kind of church. This is the norm for God's kingdom. This is why it's exciting to be on God's mission. And every small thing that we get to do as a small church in Charlton is to this end, that people will hear about the great news that we know for ourselves and that our lives get to be changed by, that, that more people get to hear about that and more people get to see it lived out. That's why we do what we do. And the good news is that Jesus gives us new life. We want others to hear this. We want, we want that to be lived out in our community more than it is at the moment. And Redeemer is a church that none of us have planted except for Jesus. Jesus has planted this church. And as we follow him, we will be people who believe, who remain true, and who serve others. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we see here in Acts today. People believe, people remain true, and people serve others. So let's start with that first one, that people believe. And this is in those first verses, verses 19 through 21. Peter, in the beginning of this book of Acts, in chapter 2, all the way back, he, in verse 39, talking about the gospel, says this, The promise is for you and for your children, for, all, for those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This promise is for us, it's for our children, for those who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. 
So this promise and the good news that we're reading about today isn't just for us who are believers. It's for people who are in our families, our children. It's for people who are, in our estimation, far away from God. It's for everybody. And it's also for us. And those who are far away from the Lord will believe. We've already seen this happen. Those who are far away from the Lord will believe. This is what happens. Now, it's not going to be on a massive, huge scale. Like uh, uh, We're not going to be in megachurch overnight, thank God. But we will see people come to faith. And that's amazing. That's an amazing thing to be part of. It's an amazing thing to join God in. So how did this happen in Acts? Well, let's look and see. First, Antioch, this city where the church gets planted. Antioch is a Greek city. It's very different from Jerusalem, which is kind of like where the mother church, where the hub church is from. So Jerusalem will be very religious. It's very kind of Jewish-centric. And Antioch, though there was lots of religious worship going on, was more spiritual and not religious. A a lot like Trollton, actually. It was very spiritual, not really religious. And Christians ended up in Antioch and, and telling others about God in two ways. One, they were scattered by persecution. There were Jews in Jerusalem who had to flee because after Stephen was martyred for his faith, they basically became Christian refugees. And they had to leave their homes and go find other homes in places that were not their own, where people spoke different languages. It was very difficult, must have been very difficult to, to live that way. The Christian refugees, they didn't ask to go. They had to flee under very difficult and scary circumstances. So that's one way how Christians end up in Antioch. The second way is that others came from Greek-speaking backgrounds. Antioch is a Greek-speaking place, Greek culture. So others came from other Greek-speaking areas, non-Jewish areas, with the intention of actually going after and speaking to more people who come from the same background as them. Greek-speaking, spiritual but not religious, not Jewish. What we see here is the Jews stick to Jewish people with Jewish backgrounds. The Greeks intentionally seek out those people with Greek backgrounds. And the hand of the Lord was with those who went after the spiritual but not religious types in this story. And there's, I think there's some things we can learn from this. The first thing is whether we go because it's forced upon us or whether we choose to go, there was a focus on spreading the word. There was a focus on telling the good news. This doesn't mean you have to be some kind of weird, awkward Christian and you wonder why nobody likes you because you always you know, don't have anything really to say other than like you know weird Christian stuff. This means in the very kind of natural way of our everyday life, we're going to be connecting our lives to God as we're called to live. And even in difficult circumstances, those who follow Jesus are all about loving other people. These people were Christian refugees, and still, telling other people about Jesus was like a high priority for them. We have to be people who know why Jesus is good news for us and how that can be communicated uniquely to the people that we love the people that we have our lives, our lives are surrounded by. So that's the first one. The second thing is Jesus's message and his power work together. The Bible is called the sword of the spirit. It's, it's, there's a, there's a, an activeness. There's, there's, it, it penetrates the Lord's hand, which is a symbol of power and his word are always at work together. And that's what we see here in this story. And as we bring our lives to the Bible, and not just read it, not just kind of gloss over it, not just try and gain the information, but as we bring our lives to the Bible, that's where we see our lives change, because it's God's words, and we are changed by God's words. When God speaks to us, that changes us. And the more we do that, the better we live out kind of the life that we always wanted to have anyway. So thirdly, this is something the Jews are still catching up on. The fact that God is going after people who aren't Jewish. 
But this is something the Greeks readily get. So they readily get that God is for everyone. God is for everyone. Doesn't matter your class background. Doesn't matter how you identify your gender identity. Doesn't matter how you identify sexually. It doesn't matter. All of the things that we use to sort ourselves away from others are all the things that others use to sort away us, to keep us in the boxes that's easy for them to classify. God does away with all those things because God is for everyone. His love is for everyone. This good news is for everybody. God calls everybody to him. So regardless of where you are now, of you're like, oh man, I've just done some really horrible things in my past. God is for you. Or maybe you think, you know, I'm actually, I think I'm kind of okay. I have a pretty comfortable life. You don't have nearly good a life as you think. You're missing out. God is for you. If you're thinking, there's no way God would ever be able to accept me, or maybe he would, but his church would never be able to accept me. God is for everyone. And the church is for everyone, regardless of your background. Can I say it again? God is for everybody. And this isn't, God isn't just for the religious. Thank God. The Jews were persecuted. They were fleeing for their lives. They seek comfort in hanging out with their own people. The people just like them. But that's not where God is moving here. God is moving outside of the regular comfortable confines. And where is he moving now in Charlton? Right now during this pandemic? What what is he up to? Where is God? How are we following him? That's a question for us as a church in Charlton. Following God means crossing boundaries that we've drawn, and in that discomfort that we will find, we find new and deeper ways to rely on him. So when we cross those boundaries, which we're called to, if we're going to follow God, when we cross those boundaries, we're going to find ourselves in uncomfortable situations, and we're going to want to flee away from those. What we need to do is actually rely on him more. There are more opportunities to trust him more and to ask him, Lord, what are you doing? What are you up to in this? And then we'll grow in our own faith and Lord willing in other people's faith. And here in this story, what we see is that people believe. People who are dead have come to life. They were lost and now they're found. How amazing is that? How much of your life is organized around this possibility? If you don't organize your life around this, if you aren't intentional in this, you should never expect to see this or participate in this. How much of your life is organized around the possibility of people coming to faith, coming to believe? Do you pray for this? And if you don't have that desire, pray for that desire. Does your heart break for those who don't know him? Does it actually affect you? Or have you developed a callousness against that? If you are more on the callous side, and all of us have callous parts of our hearts, if you're on more of that callous side, ask God to give you more of his heart. Because as we see in this story, his heart is for all people to know about him. His heart is for the lost. His heart is for the lonely. His heart's for the spiritually dead. One reason Redeemer will always be a church planting church, at least as far as whenever, as much as I'm involved, is that it keeps this fundamental basic reality of the gospel a priority. It keeps the main, some of the main things the main things. We give money towards church planting, even as a small church. It's not a lot of money, but we, we give money towards planting a church. We will give more. As we get more money, we will give more of it out so that more churches get planted. We pray for more churches to be planted. and We will pray more as more people come around. We work towards this, and we will work more. A church that is focused on its own problems or even its own vision 
As good as that might sound, a church that's focused only on what it can do for itself and its immediate neighborhood is a church missing out on God's great plan for not just our neighborhood, but for our city, for our nation, for our world. I think oftentimes our missions, our visions, they're far too small. God is up to something big. And I want to be a part of something big with God. That's what we get to do. So people believe. But what do we see next? So people in Antioch are moving from missing out on God to believing in God, to being with him. Now people who were formerly isolated from God are now connected to him, united to him. What happens next? Like, what's the next step in this? Well, this happens in uh, verses 22 through 26. They remain true. So Barnabas, who's this great man of faith, Luke, who's the author of Acts, has this man crush on Barnabas. He loves Barnabas. He loves talking about how great Barnabas is. So Barnabas comes from Jerusalem, the mother church, the hub church, and Barnabas is stoked about what's going on in Antioch. He's looking around. He's like, oh my gosh, all these people are coming to faith and people who aren't even from Jewish backgrounds. This is amazing. I am so happy about this. And he and Barnabas encouraged these new believers to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And then Barnabas went to go pick up Saul, or sometimes uh, he goes by Paul, and they tag-team the teaching ministry at Antioch. So you have Barnabas and Saul kind of preaching, like, ta- like team teaching. It must have been amazing. And these people here in Antioch, they remain true. They're encouraged to remain true. And the same thing is for us. See, teaching is important, which is why we spend so much time about it, which is why we organize our Sundays around that being a big part of what we do together as we worship. Sundays, also missional communities, which are our small groups that meet together throughout the week. Teaching is a fundamental part of that. Teaching is important because it helps us remain true to who we are in Jesus. And that's kind of the goal. The Greeks would have all sorts of baggage that they would have brought with them here. All sorts of baggage of that spiritual but not religious kind of background. All sorts of baggage of the way they used to do life before. Their spiritual activity, they would, they would worship gods. That All of that was part of everyday life. It was woven into like the social fabric. The way you hung out with people is you went to these feasts where you worship other gods and basically you drink and eat too much and you puke and they made separate room for people who just couldn't handle all the drinking and would like vomit. It's kind of not too different from our days today either. We just don't say we worship gods anymore. We just go right right to the drink. So their spiritual activity was very much part of their social lives. But they aren't in those things anymore because they're in Jesus now. They aren't part of this social world that is focused around worshiping other things. Now they're in a whole new kind of situation. They have a new identity. Now they worship Jesus. How are they going to sort these things out? It must have been difficult. We're not told exactly how they do it. Surely it's difficult. And we know it's difficult because it's the same thing for us. All of us, we all have baggage that we bring with us. And remaining true, as Barnabas is encouraging believers and us today to do, is impossible outside of the teaching of the church. And let me also say this. The teaching of the church is not a podcast. The teaching of the church is not a potential web browser. Uh, It's not a live stream. It's not an event. It's not something produced. It's a set. The best teaching that you can get from the church exists in the context of a set of relationships created by God. You can listen to people who are far better preachers and teachers than I am, but the reason why you're part of this church isn't to have those other preachers and teachers and podcasts or whatever going on. It's because God is saying something specifically to Redeemer, and he's going to use people within Redeemer for, to, to speak to us and for us to listen to. 
And there's something different about someone who knows you teaching versus someone who doesn't know you and teaching. Now, I find podcasts super helpful. I use other teachers all the time for my spiritual growth, but it's nothing compared to people within Redeemer teaching me about God's Word. It's just different because it exists in a context of relationships. One is communal and more family in nature, and one is kind of individualistic and kind of self-focused. We're always aiming for that more family, that more familial kind of aspect. A church is where people are known, where you don't, you can't stay anonymous as much as maybe we would like to. A church is, uh, and you can't be known by a podcast, can you? So don't settle for being passive. Being passive is how we drift. None of us has ever been passive and drifted towards Jesus. We always drift away from Jesus, which is why we need this teaching over and over, which is why we need to be encouraged to remain true over and over and over again. Now, before this pandemic, it was easy to buy into the idea that worldly comforts are really all we need. Now, maybe we wouldn't say that, but our lives would kind of be like that. We'd, we'd functionally be like that. As long as I have a good career, as long as I'm able to go to a good school, or as long as my future, you know, my kids' future school decisions are going to be good, or as long as I have, you know, things that are comfortable enough in my own life, um, then I'm actually okay. And other, if anything else happens on top, and that's just kind of like the cherry on top, that's great. Now, we might talk differently like that on a Sunday, but if we're honest with ourselves, it's kind of how we live. That's, that's the world that we're kind of born into. And we might talk differently on a Sunday, but our lives sometimes really aren't all that different from others around us who aren't believers. How we use our money, is it the same or is it different? What our diaries look like, is it the same or is it different? What fears and worries do we have? Is it the same thing as people who aren't following Jesus or is it different? But... When a crisis hits, idols leave. They're gone. When a crisis hits, idols leave. All these other things that we orient our lives around, they're gone. We've all been orphaned by the comforts that we thought would care for us, by things that we thought would actually deliver comfort, by things that we thought would actually deliver security. They have gone. They've left us as orphans. They've gone. And as difficult as that process is, because we're all living in that now, as difficult as that is, it's actually a good thing because, or it can be, there's potential for it to be a good thing because in the tornado of this pandemic, we hear the whisper of God calling us to something more, to a deeper life. Now, we don't ask for suffering. We pray for this pandemic to to end. We pray for people to stop suffering and all the kind of things. But while we're in the suffering, what is God saying to us? How are we going to remain true? How are we going to find meaning when things have left us? Remaining true means being who God has made you to be. Not what the world tells you to do. Not what kind of your inner self tells you to do. What God himself tells you. And he says this. God himself has something for you. God himself tells you. You are my daughter. I love you. You are my son. And love you. I am so pleased with you. I just I I love getting to see what you do with your life. I love being a part of your life. And he says this to us before we do anything. These are the words that God the Father spoke to God the Son at Jesus' baptism. And for all those who follow Jesus, those same words are spoken to us. It's difficult to believe that. It's very difficult to believe that. 
And the only way to remain true to what God says about us, instead of relying on what we think about ourselves or what other people think about us or expectations that we feel like we have to meet and can't meet or what the world generally says about us, the only way to remain true to what God is saying about who we are is by being connected to his word as we learn about it through a set of relationships called the church. The only way to remain true to this through good times and bad times is to be connected to a church that teaches about the Bible, which will teach us about Jesus, about who we are, about our mission in this world. That's what Antioch tells us. That's what we need today. And still, we're told in verse 24 that more people are coming to faith. So you have people who originally believed came to faith. People, those people who came to faith are remaining true, and still more people are joining that as they're seeing this kind of this embodied faith, this faith that's being lived out. And in verses 27 through 30, we see in particular how they're serving others. So they serve others. The situation here is there's a prophet here who predicts a famine, and this famine wouldn't only be localized to like a small area. It was going to be a big deal, basically as global as something could be during that time. Uh, there were a series of famines, actually, during Claudius's reign. His, uh, he had a, a tough few years, Claudius did. Year 1, year 2, year 4, year 9, year 11. These are all kinds of famines. Some of them were larger, some of them were smaller, but this one in particular is talking about something that's covering the entire Roman world, from Egypt to Greece to Rome and Judea. So Agabus the prophet tells the church at Antioch that some difficult times are coming ahead. Look, there's going to be this famine. It's going to be very difficult. And uh, Christine and I were reading this with Nick and Ross, two people of, about, who are part of Redeemer. And Ross's insight was that you have this super strong Roman government, the strongest institutional force that could be thought of then, covering the known world. The Roman government has no kind of power when confronted with these kind of natural disasters. Similar to Joseph in Egypt in the Old Testament, Egypt had all the power, but when it came to the natural world and the problems that it produces, they were powerless. When crises hit, the veil of this world is pulled back, and things that seemed powerful are now revealed to be truly what they are, powerless. As it has been all along. Really, only God has the power to be able to see us through difficult times. Now, a famine is going to hit the church at Jerusalem and at Antioch, and it's not like they weren't included in these hard times. They were included in these hard times. But being empowered by God, they saw it as an opportunity to serve others, to bless others. A famine becomes an opportunity to help other people out. Words and deeds are here. They're living side by side. This is embodied belief. This is a natural posture of a life that believes and remains true eager to serve others and help other people out, even when it's difficult. This is living in generosity when we feel like we're surrounded in a world of scarcity. And the only way that we can live this way isn't through us getting all the energy ourselves, isn't for us to kind of get the passion, isn't for us to read all the books and learn what to do. It's through Jesus himself empowering us. This whole series on Acts is called Power to Live on Jesus' Mission. Where does that power come? It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from you. It comes from Jesus himself. It's his message. And his message grows and, and advances through his hand. He has the power. And people who teach, those who encourage, it's not because they're great. It's because of his spirit. And so when we serve, it's not in our strength. It's in his strength. 
The Greeks in Antioch were once isolated from God. They were quarantined off, quarantined off, isolated. Now they're able to walk in the freedom that comes from being in a relationship with God, living a generous life when they would have just been preoccupied with themselves otherwise. And this is why we planted a church in Trollton. For those who are far off, there are nearly 60,000 people in the Trollton area, from Trollton Park to Wally Range to Stretford to kind of central Trollton. 60,000 people. Not even 1% of people who live in, in that area are part of a church like we're reading about in Trollton. Less than 1% of people in the 60,000 people in our area are not hearing these words, not hearing from God. They're missing out. And this is why we must be about church planting, even as a new church. Because we want more people to come out of their isolation with God. We want more people to come out of their status quo kind of stupor and believe, to remain true, to serve others. Now, Redeemer is going to be two years old in June, the 14th of June. It's exciting stuff. It's time for us to start thinking of how to grow our mission, how to hire staff, how to grow in order to better serve the mission that God has us on. Because in a, in a pandemic, God is growing his church. We aren't, it's not on hold. We're not taking a step back. God's moving forward. We're going to, who's going to grow our relationship, our partnership with, with reach out to the community? Who's going to join and help lead the next Alpha? Who's going to join and, and lead new missional communities? In fact, we're, we've just, this past week, we launched a new missional community. In a pandemic, our church is growing. We're thriving. Now, we have three missional communities, one that meets on Monday, one that meets on Wednesday, one that meets on Thursday. And God will continue to grow his church, pandemic or no pandemic. The church at Antioch is one example, and our church is another one. It's amazing. It's exciting. And if you want to take the next step in joining God, maybe you've been watching these videos, uh, and um, or even take the next take the step from watching other people do church, and maybe what's that next small step in being active yourself? Become part of it, maybe. At the sign up link, which is redeemermcr.com/live, you can click sign up there and let us know how we can pray for you. That's the easiest way for you to get involved is to allow us to pray for you. What what harm could come from that? Everyone needs prayer now, right? So let, let us pray for you. Or if you already get the emails from Redeemer, maybe now is the time to join in with something that you wouldn't have before, like our Zoom call that we have, where we're doing all this together. We're praying for each other. We're singing together. And we're, we're encouraging each other. Or it might be a missional community. Missional communities are our small groups kind of meet throughout the week to do this very thing, to, for us to believe, for us to remain true, and for us to serve others in a way that's very practical and, and um, on the ground. And if you are part of Redeemer, is the church a priority in your life? Right now, making time for missional communities, right now, um, making maybe extra time to pray together outside of like the formalized times, asking how we can work together, you need to be a part of it. It's the best thing for you to be a part of this. You need others and others need you because we're not the same if you're not there. Just as you're not the same if you're not there, we're not the same if you're not there. And we can't remain true and be passively involved. We have to be actively involved. If anything, more actively involved now because we physically are disconnected. And the only way we can be good news when a daily deluge of bad news is out there is through Jesus. That's the only way. And Jesus has chosen to work his message and his power through his church. Jesus lived he died, he rose again for his message and his power to advance his church. 
Jesus didn't leave behind any writings. He didn't write any books himself. He left behind his people. He left behind his church. And that is us through the power of his spirit, the Holy Spirit. So let's come to Jesus and believe. Jesus' death means we don't have to be ruled by our doubts. We're going to have doubts, but we don't have to have those be leading us. Jesus can lead us in spite of our doubts, and he will. We might still have them. Belief reigns because Jesus' new life reigns. Now let's come to Jesus and remain true. Jesus' death means we don't have to go to all the empty things that will just end up orphaning us anyway. We get to live out who we are through Jesus' resurrection. God's people following God's path. And let's come to Jesus and serve others. Jesus' death and resurrection is the hope we have, the fuel we have, and that gives us a supernatural power to be generous when it's easier to focus on ourselves. Now this story is about how Jesus plants a church in Antioch, and we get to join him on that journey as we follow him. Let me pray.